Welcome to the Voices of Freedom podcast by Freedom All Occur. Each week, you'll hear mind-blowing interviews from survivors and professionals, as well as actionable tips that you can implement in your life to become a better advocate for human trafficking survivors. Thanks for spending time with us today. Now let's jump into the next episode of Voices of Freedom. Today's episode, we have Chris Stoller joining us. Chris, do you want to jump in and give a quick introduction of who you are and share a few fun facts about yourself? Sure. Good morning, uh, everyone. My name is uh, Chris Stoller. I am uh, the vice board chair of She Has a Name. We're an anti-human trafficking organization based in Columbus, Ohio. And uh, our vision is to see uh, all those impacted by human trafficking restored into society. Uh, That includes men, even those who solicit sex. Uh, so really excited to be here, um, talk with you all today. I'm, I'm in addition to being vice board chair of She Has a Name, which I volunteered with for uh, about a decade now. I'm also the moderator of our private John School or solicitor education program for uh, for mostly men who have been arrested for soliciting sex in Central Ohio. Uh, so what I'll be talking about today comes from both my experience as a board member and also um, longtime teacher, educator, moderator at uh, this this John School program for solicitors. Uh, a few fun facts about myself. Um, I love to write. So uh, writing fiction is uh, one of my biggest passions, hobbies. I love um, that. That's so unique. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. I uh, uh, So in, in 2016, I published a novel. Um, uh, it was actually about human trafficking. I'm a former reporter, have a master's in journalism. So I spent more than three years um, researching uh, the topic of human trafficking, interviewing more than a dozen survivors and police officers and social workers right here in Columbus, uh, and then use that research to um, to create a, a fictional story about trafficking to help people kind of understand more on an emotional and psychological mm-hmm. level um, uh, this topic rather than just kind of the facts. Uh, and uh, yeah, I've uh, continued to write, um, focusing a lot, uh, my next book a little bit more on science fiction, but um, yeah, really, really enjoy writing. And then uh, my wife and I have three kids, so we spend a lot of time uh, when the weather's nice uh, hiking. And uh, we have had it our goal recently to, to hit all the metro parks in central Ohio and uh, absolutely love doing that. So, yes, I love the metro parks. And like I mentioned earlier, I live up by Lake Erie and they have a lot of nice metro parks up here, too. So if you ever venture north, um, we've been there. Yes, they're beautiful. <clears throat> Great. So, um, like you mentioned, today's episode is about why people solicit sex. Can you explain what this means, the term soliciting sex? Yeah. So, um, for just for kind of take a step back uh, context here. So when, when we think about human trafficking, right. Um, people, people tend to view this as, um, human trafficking as, you know, one of the, the kind of common views is it's, it's a social justice issue, um, but we always have to remember that human trafficking um, is a business, right? It's a very lucrative business mm-hmm. that produces more than $150 billion um, in illegal profits per year. So it's a business and like any business that operates on the law of supply and demand. And uh, I've been involved with this with this fight for more than a decade now. And uh, while so much awareness has been done helping people understand um, human trafficking, um, I still think there's kind of this, uh, this myth that it's uh, or people tend to forget that it, that it is a business and that it operates on supply and demand. And yeah. so, um, you know, while there are always exceptions to the rule in general, um, the supply is coming mostly from women and the demand is mostly fueled by 
uh, by men who are soliciting and purchasing sex. Um, I've taught uh, hundreds of men in our solicitor education program over the last 10 years. And I have seen uh, there have been some women in the class or been transgender individuals in this class. But at the end of the day, just the data shows and my experience shows that it is mostly men who are purchasing sex. And so when we're talking about this issue today, um, again, there's always exceptions, but uh, most of this experience is coming from trying to help all those impacted, in particular, men who have been arrested for soliciting sex. So jumping around, I don't know if you have the questions pulled up in order, but you kind of led us to more of like who the buyers are. So I'm going to jump to, can you share what the average buyer looks like, like their their profile of a buyer? Yeah. So um, the, uh, the as you know, uh, when we're talking about human trafficking, data is very hard to come by, right? Good data, accurate data. And so can there, you share uh, why that is for our listeners who may not know sure. that, like you and I do? Sure, absolutely. So, um, you know, one of the, the biggest challenges that we face with data with human trafficking is um, that data is only as good as those who are reporting it. Yes. <laughs> and uh, in general, you know, those who are reporting it um, are, are the victims themselves, and they often don't want to report, self-report or disclose because out of fear of uh, being further traumatized or victimized by the traffickers uh, or just fear of shame, you know, from family members, whatever it is. Um, They oftentimes don't trust the police and law enforcement, those who are collecting the data. So it's not surprising that that good data is hard to come by. Uh, But when we're talking about um, data as regards to solicitors, it's even harder because uh, now we're talking, you know, a, a very niche criminal population. Um, but I will say, you know, regardless of this, this lack of data, uh, we do know from some from some national studies that uh, the average buyer, again, it, 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 it does vary. But in general, the average buyer, um, the age is right around 43. And we also know that um, uh, 35 is the first time they solicited. So. What that means is that, you know, 40, 40-ish is the first time they got caught, but they also have solicited prior to that. Um, there's also been some national studies that have shown that um, a decent percentage of, of these mostly men um, do involve some position of authority or trust. So they might be, you know, everything from a, a school teacher to a, uh, we've, we've even had police officers in the Ed, uh, John School program, uh, could be military, et cetera. So uh, a decent percentage of these do involve some position of, of authority or trust. But the biggest takeaway I would have is that um, from my experience of the hundreds of men that I've educated over the last few years, it defies a stereotype, right? We, we have men in the class. I've taught everything from 18-year-old men up to 70-year-old men. I have taught uh, individuals who are who are white, who are black, who are uh, Latino. We have uh, in Columbus, we have a good Somalian population, um, and so uh, we've we've the the diversity in this program is just astounding in terms of it defies any stereotype of of age or race or gender or socioeconomic status. So it could be anybody. What that means to me is it could be your next door neighbor, it could be a family member. It's it defies all stereotypes, right? It's like we often say, like um, addiction does not discriminate. This is just this, just the same. Like buyers, absolutely. There's no absolutely. discrimination against who what buyers look like. Yes. Um, so what what leads someone to purchase sex? That is 
one of the most complicated questions <laughs> <laughs> that I've I've tried to answer over the last few years. Um, and uh, like I said about um, you know stereotypes as to who these buyers are, uh, it also when we're talking about why people solicit, um, it, it's very complicated and it defies stereotypes. So. Um, there, let me start just kind of at a, on a national level. There has been some research uh, about kind of the, the categories, if you will, as to why people solicit. Um, and there's a few of them. Uh, one, one is sex with intimacy. So this could be, you know, it's, it's a way to appropriate relationships that they can't get in real life. So give you an example. I had, uh, there's one individual in the, our program who, uh, who was disabled and said that he um, he couldn't remember the last time someone touched him, uh, like any form of touch, even a hug or, or a pat on the shoulder. Um, that's not an excuse. It is not a justification yeah. for their crime. And so hear me loud and clear on that. When I'm talking about the reasons people solicit, these are not excuses. They're not justifications. They're just why people have self-identified as to why they've chosen to solicit. Mm -hmm. um, another big category is sex without intimacy. So so men who just want to, um, to, to have a physical relationship without a commitment, right? And so, you know, guys who, who just want that, uh, the, the physical satisfaction of, of sex and, and no relationship. Um, and then there's another category where it's just, uh, you know, men who are wanting to uh, a variety or, or a thrill, uh, you know, the idea of, of the fact that you could get arrested, the fact that you could get a sexually transmitted disease that increases the, the pleasure. So the greater the risk, the greater the reward. Um, and that's very unfortunate, right? But there's, yeah. there is a good category of men that, that are also doing that. Um, so that's, that's kind of at a high level. And then, you know, when we're, when we're talking about our, our solicitor education program specifically, um, we've had more than over the last, uh, several years, we've had more than a thousand men who have graduated from that program, um, of those thousand, about 700 of them have filled out surveys. Uh, they're all anonymous. We don't collect their names. Um, but during this educational program that's done through the city attorney's office, we have been able to ask questions as to, to why men solicit. Yeah. Um, again, it's, it's anonymous and self-reported. Um, but the, the, the answers that we've gotten from that local data have just been fascinating. Um, you know, uh, we went into it kind of with this assumption of stereotypes that, you know, it's mostly men who are sex addicts or porn addicts. Those are the reasons, right? But mm -hmm. what we found is that oftentimes um, these men are also victims of trauma themselves. So they may have experienced abuse as children yeah. uh, from a caregiver or a loved one. Um, and the reasons that they gave, some of the top reasons are issues like loneliness, depression, uh, mental illness, again, not excuses, not justifications, but it helps us understand that, you know, if we're going to ever, if we're going to ever try and reduce the demand for human trafficking, we need to understand why men are soliciting in the first place. And so this data helps us understand that so that we can give them comprehensive trauma-informed care. Yeah. It's, it's something that when I first started at Freedom, I never thought of. My previous co-host, um, Mandy, she is a huge advocate for learning the whys behind the the buyer or the John. So she opened my eyes to that. And I think it's just a really unique um, thing to think about because, you know, when we think of Johns, we just automatically have like negative thoughts and this person's like the cruelest human to ever live. And really, like, it's not the case. Um, so I appreciate yeah, you not, that. 
That's a great point. And, you know, I, I, when I first started getting into this and learning more about demand reduction, um, it took me a while. I mean, there, I had so much rage early on at the men. Yeah. Uh, so I totally get it. I totally understand it. But at some point we have to decide, are we going to sit there with that rage or are we going to channel that energy into something helpful, yeah. right? Something meaningful that makes a difference. And the more I learned about it, again, there's always exceptions to the rule, but the more I learned about these men, the more I learned that, again, a lot of the times they are also victims of trauma, not all the time, but some of them are. Mm-hmm. And those are the ones we want to reach, right? Yeah. Those are the ones that we want to help that we want to provide comprehensive trauma-informed care because um, that's – otherwise, we're just going to be spinning our wheels. If we only focus on helping survivors and victims and don't do anything to stop the demand or reduce the demand, then this problem is just going to continue to perpetuate. Right. So you've led me into my next question. How do we reduce the demand of buyers? Yeah, that is a great question. Um, Million-dollar question. Uh, so – at, at the highest level possible, um, there's so there's this organization called Demand Forum that, that tracks data as to some of the most common strategies for reducing demand. Uh, there's about, I think they've listed about a dozen or so of these, um, and they, they fall into categories of uh, you've got arrest tactics, right? So that would be police that are doing reverse stings, web stings, um, other forms of buyer arrests that then... Uh, uh, so it starts with that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, another category would be non-arrest tactics. So, uh, think more, um, uh, in terms of how working with the community. So could be a post buyer arrest, those, that individual is sent to a John school like ours or the solicitor education, uh, concept. Uh, so that's another big category. And then third category is just, so not ta- taking police out of it altogether, You've got a category of, of strategies like neighborhood action. There's there's civic groups. Um, there are uh, shaming tactics. So you've got, you know, organizations that will publish uh, names and photos of the buyers, right? It could be taking out a billboard or or posting it on social media. Um, the th- one thing I will say with all of these tactics, there are pros and cons to all of these, right? Mm-hmm. So some of these um, are, are much more trauma-informed and comprehensive, and others just kind of seek to um, to shame. And, you know, one of the things that I've learned in this work over the last few years is that uh, we always have to think about um, collateral damage, right? So when we take shaming, for example, it's, it's been a very popular uh, concept of demand reduction where you, you, you know, publicize the name or photo of the buyer. Um, one of the things that I learned from, from our city attorney's office is that when that has been done, uh, oftentimes what happens is the spouse, if there is a spouse or children involved, they start getting harassed. Oh, uh, yeah. Kids get bullied at school. Uh, there was one woman who uh, whose husband got arrested and she lost her friend, her support group, her friends because of this. So yeah. we always need to think about being comprehensive, trauma-informed, and then if there's any collateral damage, right? Um, that's really important with, with these types of strategies. So I would say, you know, our... Our position, as she has the name, is that we we try to take a, a comprehensive trauma-informed view to this. And what we do is moderate this John School program uh, where men who get arrested, uh, for if it's their first-time events, no history of violence, then they get a chance to attend this one-day class. And then we point them to additional resources. So we connect them to licensed counselors that, that can deal with those root issues like depression and loneliness and mental illness. Uh, Cause that's, that's the only way that we'll actually see change. Yeah. Um, what is your guys's 
And if you don't have the answer to this, it's totally fine. I can take it out. What is, like, the success rate of, like, how many Johns, like, you get back or don't come back? Like, The recidivism rate is extremely yeah. low. So it's uh, – I don't know the exact percent, but it is very low. And so what that means is, you know, of the 1,000 men over the last few years that have graduated from our program, um, a very small percentage of them are rearrested for the same crime. So – if they are rearrested, they are no longer eligible for our John School or mm-hmm. Solicitor Education Program. They actually, Columbus City uh, changed their code enforcement. And so if you're arrested a second time, uh, you will face a, a much significantly higher fine. I believe at that second offense, there's also jail time. And it goes up from there. Mm-hmm. So your third arrest, et cetera. Um, but what, what we also know is that, you know, in terms of recidivism, while the rate may be low, it can also mean these guys are, are still repeating the same crime and just not getting caught, yeah, right? They're smarter exactly. about it. Yeah. So I don't know the answer, but I know that of the thousand men that have graduated from our program, uh, very few are rearrested. Okay. Um, can you share feedback that you've received from buyers when they learn about sex trafficking in correlation with the women they purchase sex from? Yeah. So the, the response we always have every single John school program we offer we always have a, invite a survivor to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes we've done that through uh, through a recorded video. Other times we'll bring survivors in um, who have volunteered to, to share their story with these men. And I will say, you know, we we bring in licensed counselors, we bring in therapists, we bring in um, you know healthcare workers to talk to these men about a variety of topics. Sometimes they tune them out. Sometimes you know they're not really paying attention. But when a survivor speaks. And when a previous John School graduate comes back and speak, we, we, we offer both, that's when they listen. They really pay attention because um, you, you can just see that see their faces change when, when they see an actual physical survivor in the room talking to them, not shaming them, just explaining her story that this isn't necessarily, you know, her, her choice, what she dreamed of as a little girl, right? Mm-hmm. It breaks down those myths for them. And then when they have a, a, a former John School graduate come to the class, that also really hits them because that guy tells them, hey, this is your one shot at, tra- right. at making a change. Listen. Um, and we've, we have had you know, of the hundreds of men that have gone through this program, we have, uh, I have personally known of three who have since uh, come back and spoken at our class where they have come back and uh, actually vol- we have one individual who is now volunteering with She Has a Name and helping me moderate this program, wow. um, which which is just amazing. Yeah. <clears throat> um, okay. So those were all the questions I had for you. Is there anything that you feel like we're missing that you think... <laughs> would be important for the listeners to know. Yeah. Um, I actually, one of the things that I do in the, uh, in our, our John school program is I always just end with a story, um, with one of the, one of the men who's been, uh, who graduated from our program. So, um, yeah, if you don't mind, I'd, I'd love to read you a letter that, yeah, that he please. sent us actually several years ago. So, uh, there's this guy named Ryan. Um, I met him actually the very first time I spoke at the private program, uh, which he has a name has since purchased and, and runs, um, and this guy, Ryan, um, like I said, first person I ever, who I ever personally met solicitor who came up to me after I spoke and said, oh my God, what, what can I do to help? Um, there's always, you know, the hundreds of men I've, I've taught, there's always at least one that I can tell that I've, I've personally touched, um, who's listened to what I've said, 
what we've said. And this guy in particular, um, he said that, uh, just kind of shared his story with me that he had recently moved to the area, didn't know anybody, was really struggling with loneliness, uh, depression, and um, made the decision to solicit. Um, and it was a, a reverse web sting online. So there was actually no, you know, um, it, it was an undercover female officer who, who was posing as a um, uh, as someone soliciting and uh, took the bait and then got arrested and went to the John School. So he went through, graduated through our program um, and he shared this letter with us, which he gave us permission to use. Um, and so I'll just, yeah, just read you this letter here because it's, it's really telling. So he says, over the past few years, I had been battling loneliness and depression. These struggles led me to make the worst decision of my life. I found myself a rock bottom and made the decision to solicit. Thankfully, I was arrested and stopped short of making a horrible mistake. Since this was my first offense and what will be my last, I was allowed to participate in the job school. I knew going into the program that I wanted to get involved in the fight against trafficking. But after participating in the program, I knew I had to. The program opened my eyes to the world of trafficking. And in my heart, I knew I wanted to help in any way possible. Through my experience, I found a relationship with God and gained a better understanding of the awful world of trafficking that prior to this experience, I knew nothing about. I wish more than anything I could take back my mistake, but in a strange way, it's made me a better person. I now know I can move forward and raise awareness with dreams of ending this horrible issue. Ryan's story isn't alone. You know, I, like I said, we've had two other individuals that have since graduated from our program and become volunteers as she has a name and then come back and actually speak at our, at our John school program. And, uh, you know, we've, it feels like sometimes we're fighting an uphill battle, right? This is a very controversial yeah. issue, very controversial topic, yeah. but I know that we've changed the lives of three men. And that to me is what it's all about. I appreciate you sharing that story. And, um, I know that our audience will appreciate that as well. And I think it just makes it the situation more, um, I don't know if humanized is the right word, but I don't know. It brings it down to a, a different level. Um, and I also want to thank you for the work that you do because I'm sure it has to be extremely difficult each day to show up open-minded and willing to hear these buyers out um, and understand that they are not just a buyer, that they are a human themselves. Right. Thank you so much for joining and sharing and speaking on this topic. Um, and I really hope that this is mind opening to our community and um, they can sit with this and, you know, learn from what you've had to share with us today. So I appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you.